making decisions in life, ask yourself this question. Is what I'm about to do going to give glory to God? As Jesus walks on the adventure of holiness, he expresses gratitude to God the Father while blessing those who are weary from heavy burdens. There are many who accuse Jesus of unlawful behavior, but it is evident to any righteous heart that Jesus' ministry gives more glory to God than does the wickedness of some Pharisees. And as we study the passage we're going to look at from Matthew chapter 11 and 12, I want us to think about how we can express gratitude in life and make decisions that glorify God in spite of what the world convicts us to do. So welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And we are produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. And I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria. And today in our message, we're going to be looking at Matthew's chapter 11 and 12, and we're going to be talking about glory and gratitude. So with that being said, please be sure to reach out, send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can download our material. You can check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, a lot of different places. But just join us and come in. Be a part of the conversation. So let's actually go ahead and start today by going straight into our scripture. And we've got quite a bit to read. And Anthony, I think, is going to begin reading for us out of chapter 11, verse 25. And I'm just going to let him read all the way into chapter 12. So, Anthony, if you would. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath." He left that place and entered their synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to, him, to them, Suppose one of you has only one sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored, as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how they might destroy him. All right, we've had a beautiful selection of Scripture this morning, and there's a great juxtaposition between the prayer in chapter 12 and the actions that happen in chapter 11. Or excuse me, the prayer in chapter 11 and the actions in chapter 12. 
Immediately after Jesus gives thanks to the Father, he goes out in the world to glorify God by revealing his goodness. The Thanksgiving prayer in chapter 11 calls for giving rest to those who are burdened. And in chapter 12, Jesus goes out on the day of rest to do just that. So we see Jesus teaching of true rest in the end of chapter 11, and in the beginning of chapter 12, he shows us true rest. Now, the pathway to fulfillment, as intended by our Maker, is laid out by Jesus in this selection of Scripture. If one receives Jesus into their heart, they will be known by the Father. Jesus desires to teach us to have a grateful heart that is humble and gentle, and to hand our burdens over to Him. His gospel is enough to endure the burden of our souls forever. Now, one of the things which really does happen in this is if we, we examine what Jesus is teaching, he says, I have a humble and gentle heart. He says, listen to me as I teach you. He's encouraging people to have their hearts be made gentle and humble. Now, when we look at our own personalities, and people love to do personality types and stuff like that, we examine ourselves and we'll find that a lot of our personalities are genetically driven. However, the one aspect of personality which is really not genetically driven and is one of the few areas in life that you can continually adjust throughout your life is your temperament. Temperament is not strictly governed by genes, and being gentle and humble are aspects of temperament, which means that anyone is capable of these traits. Even people who are genetically predisposed to be a little bit more aggressive, we can all be taught to be humble and gentle. And now, we should point out here that this does not mean that one is just passive and weak. It just means that one is humble and gentle. They know how to have good discretion in their character. And as Jesus teaches there in chapter 11, while everyone may not be revered as wise and intelligent, and again, he says, you've hidden these things from those who are wise and intelligent, everyone is capable of being humble and gentle. Oddly enough, and as is suggested here in the scriptures, a lot of people who are touted as being wise and intelligent are actually foolish. They're not near as wise and intelligent as they tout themselves to be. But back to our question of glorifying God. Is God glorified when his people are wrought with hunger on the day of rest? Is God glorified when his creatures are withering? For those who thought they were wise and intelligent, they looked at Jesus and they looked at the situation and they said, you know, glory is brought to God when you don't get your hunger satisfied on the day of rest when you don't, um, you know, heal those who are withering. But for Jesus, he understands that the day of rest was meant to be a gift to humanity. And as Jesus clarifies, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The law was always meant to give glory to God. And if you consider each of the commandments, you will find that there is not one that does not bring glory to God. In spite of this, there are some who have spent so much time with the law that they have found themselves misunderstanding it. You ask the question, how do you spend so much time in the law and misunderstand it? Well, the answer is they spent time in the law while being separated from God. And when one is ever in the scriptures, when they're in the law of God, when they're in the things of the church, but they're detached from God, then bad things are going to happen. And that's what happened here. They spent time with the law, but they were separated from God, and therefore they forgot what the law was intended to be. And one of the things we also find in this, and when we examine the Pharisees that are mentioned here in this particular selection, you'll notice that it's not enough for them to falsely accuse. They cannot stand to be on the same plane as Jesus. They must destroy him. They do not desire coexistence. They do not desire the Son of Man to teach them the truth of the law. The Pharisees have convinced themselves that God's nature is not good enough, that the goodness of God is insufficient to define a day of rest. So when we look at this scripture and we see everything that's happened here, we've seen this wonderful prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. 
Jesus is grateful. He is expressing that. He's teaching people there in chapter 11. And going into chapter 12, he shows us what these actions look like in the world. And with our opening question, making decisions, what gives glory to God? We can examine this text and say, what gives more glory to God? Conspiring to destroy another on the day of rest or liberating a man from the burden of a withered hand? The answer is quite obvious to those who are in pursuit of God's goodness, but it is hidden to those who look elsewhere for revelation. So as we've studied throughout the gospel, according to St. Matthew, one of the questions that people often have in the church is, when do we actually shake the sand from our sandals? And this is one that really comes up here in Matthew chapters 11 and 12. We look at this, we see Jesus, he has those people conspiring against him. He has people who are, who are relatively benign to the larger political structure of, of Israel, but yet... Jesus is coming to them. He's blessing them, and they're becoming very important people. And we find ourselves asking the question of when do we shake the sand from our sandals? Anthony, I'll let you chime in before we get right into this. Um, there is something interesting here, definitely, in that I think a lot of times we imagine the Pharisees and, <clears throat> you know, they are uh, constantly doubting and things like that. And sometimes, sometimes I sympathize with them a little bit too much, and I think, well, I mean— it's kind of interesting. Jesus, if you look at it, he doesn't necessarily make an argument that's based on God. He makes an argument based on how you would treat a sheep and how much more important a person is. It's actually a very practical argument. And so I can sort of understand why they might think, okay, this, I'm not sure how correct all this is yet. But <clears throat> I will also say that they also see Jesus heal this man's withered hand, and yet they leave conspiring against him and that's something that's really interesting about some of the early records of jesus that were made outside the church there were many of them that confessed the miracles that christ performed but they interpreted them from the perspective that these were in some way acts of witchcraft or acts of evil yeah, there's something or acts which of is the demonic, unlawful acts of the like yeah. the house of beelzebub yeah and that is where honestly um where what Dylan is saying is totally and completely confirmed concerning this set of Pharisees that they are indeed not finding the nature of God to be good enough. They're rejecting the nature of God. Yeah, they they, they see these things happening before them, right, these wonders right. and miracles, and they see the goodness, and they say this is not good enough. Yeah, it, and it really is a sad thing because they've spent so much time with the law, but they've done it without God. It'd be like going to a church and experiencing the the scripture, experiencing everything, but never actually having any connection to God. And you see people who want to do this, they kind of edit out God. Some people are more explicit in doing this. Others are a little bit softer in it. But that's what they've done. They've spent time with the law, but without the spirit of the law, without the spirit that gave the law. And it's a very, very tragic thing. But back to our question of when do we shake the sand from our sandals? You know, this is one that really is often found among the faithful, and it, it is an issue that comes deep within our hearts. We, we know that there are times when we're going to have to shake the sand from our feet when dealing with people who reject the holiness and freedom brought by the gospel. But at the same time, we, we want that gospel message to bring transformation, so it really does frustrate us. It, it brings us a lot of misery wondering with this question. And earlier in the same gospel, according to Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, go out, go throughout Israel, again, go throughout the people of God with a mission to cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. And this is the work that must be done because the kingdom of heaven is near. And heaven is not a kingdom without purpose. 
And the work of heaven, it requires stewardship. And there will be people who do not receive the message. There will be people who oppose the gospel when they see it happen. And that is the moment when the disciples are to shake the sand from their sandals and leave that town. For its people are not worthy of the peace of God's kingdom. That's a very severe aspect of the gospel and it troubles Christians because we know that there must be a time to do this, but we don't want to be sinful in condemning people or falling short of the Great Commission. So that fine line between knowing when to shake our sand off of our feet and knowing when to really carry out the Great Commission, even when it's really, really difficult, it's a fine line that brings a lot of worry to us. And to give a little bit of answer to that question, we are going to be talking about this metric of if you being in this situation, if you staying there, does that give glory to God? That's really the, the answer that I want us to, to have for that. It, it's one that the scriptures give us as an answer. It's not just one that I've come up with randomly. The reason why I'm here presenting it is because this is what the Holy Scriptures tell us. We want to reach those who are living life separated from God. And sometimes we want to confront them. There are people out there that sometimes we want to confront just because we're so frustrated with the wickedness that they are advancing. Just like the Pharisees here. You know, it, it's so frustrating to see them sit there and look at Jesus and say, you are unlawful. It's, it's so frustrating to do that. And it's in these moments that we find our hearts, they're begging the question of how do we walk the fine line taught by Jesus, living a holy life that we know we're called to live. We know this means we fear God. We're trustworthy in our lives and we hate dishonest gain. The kingdom is advanced by the testimony of the word of Christ Jesus and it's the word of Christianity that spreads Christianity. And we know that this testimony is lived out in a variety of ways. But when it comes to the question of people who reject the gospel, we know this. Heaven would cease to be heaven if it brought in people without curing their sicknesses, without raising them from the dead and casting out the evil things that possess them. There are clearly people who reject the holiness of God and they prefer to remain where they are than experience the new life in the kingdom. If Jesus were to stay with these Pharisees and debate them and have a long discourse with them, he would not be bringing glory to God. Instead, he brings glory to God by coming to the man with the withered hand and restoring it. Jesus does not bring glory to God by debating the law with people who want to destroy him. They are not interested in debate. And you see that quite clearly here. These people, they're only interested in that which already agrees with them. Just as when Jesus is with the devil in the wilderness, Jesus says enough to his opponent to correct them. Again, he doesn't just leave them out there uncorrected. He says, no, do you not remember that within the law you've read it, you know, there's a time when David comes in. He does something which would normally be unlawful, but the circumstance made it be where it was appropriate. Do you not remember that it is good to do good on the Sabbath? You know, he says these things. He's saying enough to them to correct them and then end the conversation. Glory is given to God by healing a withered hand and correcting this bad theology. And it's not given to God by having a long debate with wickedness that goes back and forth and back and forth for all eternity. We ourselves, we know that we are not all powerful, and we are not the judge of the living and the dead. Therefore, when it is clear that we cannot bring glory to God by entering into or remaining in a situation, then it is the time to shake the sand from our feet. For as we know, nothing is covered that will not be revealed, and nothing hidden that will not be known. There are times when we hand situations to God, and we recognize that the only way we can give Him glory is simply by surrendering the situation to His judgment. So one of the questions that we had, and I think Anthony even reaffirmed this earlier, that there are people out here who say the gospel is not good enough. And in the modern day and age, we have many people who have convinced themselves that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not enough for the world. 
God's justice and God's design are insufficient to bring us meaning, meaningful and fulfillment in life. And it's a very serious problem that plagues us from within the church. Anthony? Today, this is a pretty, um, some of it is extremely outward and just explicit. And I don't mean like inappropriate. I mean, just, it's just very there. obviously yeah, expressed. It's not um, even hidden. Yeah, it's not hidden at all by a lot of our modern culture to say that the teachings of the Christian church, the doctrine, the practices, uh, the message of the gospel are not good enough for them. That is totally without um, denial. But I will also say that there are lots of times whenever people do this as well in terms of how it is that we should be learning from the scriptures and that sort of thing. And a lot of times they speak about it in the sense that scripture is something that belongs to us and we decide how that should be interpreted. Well, they, they generally have a mentality that God's name is something like God is on the move. It's not something like God is I am, where God is I am who I will be, and I'm a solid rock. You know, Jesus, he teaches there. We've already read through the Sermon of the Mountain, this series, you know, the man who builds his house on the, the solid rocks in good shape, but the one who builds it on the sand, bad things happen for them. You know, God is actually... He is who he is. He will be who he will be, and that is something which does not change. God's character is pretty reliable. And the people in the church today, and again, you've got to realize, those who are Jesus' greatest opponents are not people outside of Israel. They're not just random Gentiles who say, well, you know, I'm not really sure about this God of Israel. No, it's people within the house of, of God. It's people who are supposed to be the, the priests, the, the, the teachers of the law. It's the people who are supposed to be the closest to God, who are the ones who turn out not being. It's a very interesting thing. And today we have people in the church who think the gospel is not enough. They think it's that the justice of God is insufficient and that they must twist the gospel and modify it to suit however they think it needs to be suited. These people, they have sincere conviction in what they're doing. We shouldn't be fooled in that they're somehow, you know, snakes who think that they're all lying. These people, they have real conviction, but it's not conviction of God. It's of their own heart. And whenever the people of God start thinking that God's goodness and the good news of the gospel is not enough, then they have embarked on a road of wickedness, regardless of their sincere intentions. Throughout history, we find endless examples of this. One of the, the saints that I love to read from is St. Teresa of Avila. And she wrote this regarding conviction. And St. Teresa says, As far as I can see and experience and understand, whatever claims to be from God should be accepted only in as far as it agrees with the sacred scriptures. But if I should find that a seeming revelation contradicts Scripture even a little, then there is no matter how much I am convinced from before that it came from God, no matter how deep that conviction may have been, I will incomparably be more convinced now that it comes from Satan. In the case of something like this, there is no need to ask for signs to confirm the authenticity of the alleged revelation, nor an attempt to discern from which spirit it proceeds. This contradiction of Scripture is so clear a sign of the devil's presence that if all the world were to assure me that the alleged revelation came from God, I would not believe it. And so what St. Teresa is saying is she says, whenever we have a revelation or a conviction, whenever something weighs on our hearts to do something, if it disagrees with Scripture even a little bit, reject it. It's of the devil. It's of the world. It's of something else. It's of the carnal nature that runs in your veins. It doesn't matter what it is. And she even says, you don't even need to spend time discerning what it's from. 
um, if it's not from from God, and it doesn't line up with the scriptures, then well, it's not from from God. Doesn't matter if the whole world wants to assure you to do it. It is it is wrong. The greatest enemies that Jesus faced were those in the house of Israel that considered his ministry to be unlawful and in need of destruction. See, you read this and it's no accident that the Pharisees reach a conclusion that they must destroy Jesus. You see, they can live with the other scribes, they can live with the other teachers of the law, they can live with the Sadducees, but they cannot tolerate the holiness of Jesus. Each has their own brand of depravity, and while they may struggle with one another from time to time, none pose so great a threat as does Jesus. Therefore, it is he who must be destroyed. Today, we have people in the church that declare the gospel is not good enough. They say on racial issues, it's not enough to care for the souls and hearts of individuals and to weigh them out based on their characters and virtue and proximity to, to, to a relationship with Christ. And they say, you know, being colorblind, which is what the New Testament teaches us, is bad and that we must view race the way that they do because liberty in the gospel is not good enough. There are people who are in the church who they do not talk about sin and they believe that transformation out of sin is not enough. These people, they insist that some are born with sin that they cannot escape. However, basic Christian Orthodoxy 101 and basic message of the gospel is that we are all born in sin and we can all shed our worldly identity and be born again and made holy by the power of Christ Jesus. It's not by our own character or merit or our own holiness, but it's by the faithfulness of Christ Jesus that we can be born again and have a new identity in him and be sanctified holy by the Holy Spirit. There are some in the world who think that the preaching of the world, or the word, the preaching of the word is not enough, that they must use the power of the state to advance Christian conduct. Yet the message of the gospel is clear that no earthly nation is the kingdom of heaven. And while we have earthly nations with rules and laws, the kingdom of heaven is advanced by the testimony of Christ and turning of hearts, not by the governmental compulsion. We have people in the world who think that, you know, if we can get people in power that are like us, then, you know, everything will move towards God. But yet this is not how the gospel is advanced. It is always through the testimony of Christ and the turning of hearts. When we weigh out the world with the Holy Scriptures and we follow the you know, the nice model that St. Teresa gives us. She says, if something does not line up with Scripture, then we must reject it. We should not deceive ourselves into believing every conviction is of the Holy Spirit. Our own desires can convict us, as can other people and even the devil himself. But let's get back to talking about glory, because really, I want this message to be more about glory and gratitude than it to be about the things which come to, to oppose the gospel. And in order to in order to orient our lives so that we do not fall into the trap that it snared these Pharisees, we must discipline ourselves in giving glory to God. As Jesus taught us, no matter where we are in life, we are always making decisions. And it's important that we weigh out decisions and evaluate how we can best give glory to God. Furthermore, we should discipline ourselves by expressing gratitude for the gifts that we have received in life. Grateful witness is a powerful tool that will shape our lives and it gives glory to God. Gratitude truly is a spiritual discipline, and it's one that often requires great work. Suffering is an inherent aspect of fallen creation, and we are naturally tempted by a bad temperament that lacks gratitude. It is work to have gratitude in life. Jesus expresses gratitude in there in, in verse 25, and he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. And we look to this and we see within that Jesus is giving gratitude to God. He is showing 
glory of God to the world around. He even follows that up by saying, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He is giving thanks to God, and it is necessary for us to do this if we want to reap the spiritual joys in life. You look at the people who are, who are found in this. Who do we think is honestly happier in life? The people who just saw Jesus come into their synagogues, he's teaching on the Sabbath, and they walk away conspiring to kill him? Or do we think the man with the withered hand that has been restored is, is blessed? Who do we think has more joy in life, the disciples who have had their hunger satiated or those who would oppose them and say they're unlawful? Gratitude fundamentally changes how we view the world. And so many people in our world, they don't start with gratitude. And I today want us to spend time thinking about how we can start with gratitude. In our recent message we had last week, I talked about what is the one question that you could bring to God. And today I want us to have the idea of what is the one item we can go to God with with gratitude. And now, I'm not saying to stop with one item. We need to always have gratitude and we should look for more and more. But for right now, I want us to find what is the one area in life where you can so obviously see that you are blessed. Look for that area. And sometimes it's not as obvious as it is others. Sometimes it requires us being on the outside to look back in and see where one is blessed in a situation. The breath of life itself is a precious gift and that is enough for us to give gratitude to God. I always love when we go to the Seder meal, which happens around Passover and Easter. Um, when we go to this meal, which happens a few days before Easter, there's a, a prayer which is in this tradition. And if you're not familiar with the Seder, the Passover, it's where Jesus is at when he institutes the Lord's Supper. It's a, a Jewish holiday. It's a ritual. It's part of the memory that comes out of Exodus when God freed them from, from the slavery there. But there's a moment in there where they said, if you would have just done a little bit but not you know gone the whole mile it would have been enough they say things like if you would have just you know not hardened pharaoh's heart but you would have have come and given us bricks and straw and things of that it would have been enough if you would have taken us to the sea but you wouldn't have opened it up it would have been enough if you would have let us across the sea and you would have just let us be there in the promised land it would have been enough if you would have carried us through the wilderness but not let us into the next step it would have been enough and it's this prayer which goes through gratitude step by step saying God if you would have just given us the breath of life it would have been enough it's this idea where you look and you examine life carefully and you look even in the midst of great tragedy and see how God has graced you and how God has done wonderful things in your life because having gratitude will fundamentally change how you view the world these Pharisees they didn't have gratitude and thus they're looking for things which will produce misery but gratitude it produces joy and we must emphasize that joy is something quite distinct from happiness. Joy is beyond happiness and it's beyond just the, the giddiness and excitedness that we have in moments. Joy is something which is much harder to obtain and it is a deep fulfillment that is often coupled with sorrow. Personally, um, and I know I've mentioned this before, we recently had a dog that passed away and I loved this dog. Um, I loved him so much, I had him for years. He was my best friend, I'm single. Um, so I, I really have a good time with the dog. He, he hangs out with me at night. You know, you work on stuff and he sits with you. But as he was growing older and older and he had several illnesses, he, he had a bit of a, a stroke and he lost movement on one side and he didn't live much longer after that. But there was a moment where I came into the, to the kitchen of the house and he really wasn't able to walk and I thought he was about to, to, to pass away. He was, he was getting there in his bed and he wasn't really moving a lot and I went to the bathroom to do the morning routine, you know, get ready for the day. And I came back in to check on him and he had already made it a good ways across the house. He couldn't really walk well, but he had been coming after me. 
and he was alert and awake and kind of trying to hold his head up and looking at me. And in that moment, I was filled with such great joy and also such great sorrow. I knew that he was coming to the end of his time here on earth, but I had such great joy for the love and the wonderful times we had had together. You see, joy and sorrow, these are things which are coupled together so deeply. When we look at our lives and we look at those around us, the people that we have the most joy with are oftentimes the one who frustrate us the most. We look within our families and the kingdom of God is structured like a family. We look at those we're closest to and we find that we have difficult situations with them. And the purpose of the kingdom is not to avoid conflict and we find that gratitude will help us find joy in difficult situations. Within our families, we know that loving one another does not mean that we always get along. There are times of anger, sadness, and frustration, and those are juxtaposed with times of happiness, amusement, and contentment. It is our relationships that are marked by all of these that we find the most joy. And as we march along the adventure of holiness, the quality of our adventure will be heavily shaped by how much gratitude we express. Expressing gratitude will fuel us to do good things. It will fuel us to be righteous and to turn towards God. It will keep our whole lives oriented towards Him to make sure that we don't just spend time, say, within Scripture but without God, or in the church but without God, or in the law but without God, as these Pharisees did. But it will make sure that we are doing these things in a way that grows us, it brings us closer to God. Jesus, who was fully God, stopped to give thanks to God the Father, and we should as well. So as I said a few minutes ago, I want us to think of the one area in life where we need to express gratitude. This one place where we can come toward to God and say, God, thank you so much for all that you have done. And I want us to turn our attention towards this. Giving glory to God by expressing our gratitude will help us bear witness to Christ as well as mold our characters towards Him. And as we close today, I want us to give praise to God for the beauty of His creation. So let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we have come here today, Lord, wherever we are assembled, through the internet airwaves, wherever we may be hearing this, Lord, we come to you thanking you for the beautiful breath of life which has come to bring us joy. We thank you for your creatures, for being the, the mighty God who breathed a, a life into us. And even when that life became corrupted by sin, you sent your Son so that we could be transformed. Lord, we thank you for the joy that we can have in life. Lord, even when we find ourselves in darkest valleys, we know that you have the rod and the staff to comfort us, to guide us, to show us that there is a light. Lord, for those out there in our audience, whatever it is weighing on their hearts, I pray that you will be glorified in it. Lord, give us the firm character where we can stand up to the convictions of the world and move towards you. Lord, we thank you. We offer you praise and thanksgiving, knowing that you are the true God. We ask all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, with that, thank you for joining us. You can check out our content. We're on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, a lot of different podcasting places. You can donate voluntarily at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. But most importantly, make sure you're involved in your local church. With that, God love you and have a blessed day. <laughs>